Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you all here this morning. Let's get started with a word of prayer. Um, we're just going to continue to work our way through Psalm 119 and just adapt it for our prayers for each day. Lord, remember your word to your servant in which you have made us hope. This is our comfort in our affliction that you have promised to give us life. The insolent utterly deride us, but, but we do not turn away from your law. When we think of your rules from of old, all those accounts of all that you have done for your people, we take comfort, O Lord. And yes, sometimes hot indignation seizes us because of the wicked, because they forsake your law. Your statutes have been our songs in the house of our sojourning. And we remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to us, that we have kept your precepts, that we have heard your promises, and that we have believed in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as we get started, just a couple of things. Um, the translation that I'm using on, the, on the, the sheets, for the most part, is the English Standard Version. Uh, I thought I should raise that to your attention. That's the same translation that we use in our worship services. Uh, so I just figured it would be best to be uh, consistent, except that I do pull in a little bit of my own translation into these sometimes. Usually when I do that, you will see that I um, put the word or a couple words in italics. Um, most of the time when I, when I bring my translation into it, it'll be in the notes down below the section, and we'll, we'll talk about what, uh, um, what, what the original languages say in, um, in, in whatever passages we're dealing with. I also wanted to uh, let you know that a, a good resource to look at some different translations of the text, because sometimes it's helpful to compare. Uh, I also find it helpful in terms of being able to cut and paste into, uh, into this in an already formatted, um, already formatted format. Um, uh, and Becca, I think this is what you use too when you're doing the bulletin, uh, is Bible Gateway, uh, www.biblegateway.com. And uh, they've got some other neat tools on there. I've mentioned uh, listening to the text. They have a, a function on there that if you click the little arrow on the screen or whatever, there'll, there'll be a narrator that reads it. Some of these have uh, different voices that you can choose. I'm not sure if Bible Gateway has that or not. Um, because sometimes, you know, a certain voice is annoying, and uh, you know, it's like, I'm so glad to be listening to the Bible, but I can't stand listening to this person, which I really hope you're not thinking about me at the moment. Um, but uh, uh, it, it happens, and so some of these have different voices that you can use. Another really neat tool, but this is, uh, you're, you're talking about a little bit of expense now, uh, is Logos Bible Software, and they have it on different levels. So there is a, there's a basic uh, package that's, I think, fairly affordable. I didn't actually look. Um, so you would have your, you know, on your desktop, laptop, you know, whatever, and you could do comparisons and you can keep notes in there and, and some other things if that's kind of your thing. Um, 
I, I have a similar program that I use uh, that helps me do the research with the Greek and the Hebrew, and uh, I can look up things that uh, other people have written, you know, like Augustine and Ambrose and Luther. Um, so you, you probably don't need all of that, uh, but, uh, you know, there's, there's different packages uh, that they sell. You know, the one from, that I would use is like two grand. Um, but the smaller packages are much more affordable. So, all right, Romans 2. We got all the way through chapter 1. Um, yeah, one page. Should we have cake or something? We're probably, uh, probably, any excuse for cake, right, Don? Yeah. Um, some kind of a treat. We got something done, so... So we're still in this, this vein of talking about the righteousness of God. And what Paul is doing is he is looking at how people view themselves as righteous. So how do they define themselves as righteous? Are you? Oh, gotcha. Yeah, no worries. No worries. I just you know, didn't want to ignore you if you were waiting to ask a question. Um, and, and so he's actually building a case here that no one is righteous by the things that they do, okay? And so uh, as, as we work our way through this, uh, some of this might sound like he, he's saying that you can, be judge, you can be righteous in this way, and by a technicality, that's true. Uh, the problem is no one is actually capable of the things that we're going to talk about here. So he says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So, Judging and, uh, and, and condemning ourselves because we're doing the same things. You've got to go back to the end of chapter 1 to, to know what he's talking about. And he's basically talking about the idolatry and inventing ways to do wickedness and, and being insolent and, and that whole list of, of sins that, that form the end of, of, of chapter 1. And, and basically he says, so here you are. Are you judging the people who are doing these things? Are you doing the same thing? And he says, yeah, you are. And when he says um, you're doing the same thing, it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're committing the same sin. It means you're doing the same thing. And remember that the end of chapter 1 was really all about idolatry and setting ourselves up as our own 
gods. We make gods of the things of this world and we follow them. Now that being said, um, who's he writing this to? Is, is he writing this to pagans? He's writing it to the Christians in Rome. So, there, I, I meant to bring it with me. There's a book called Unchristian. It's, it's a little bit dated now. Uh, the Barna Group did some research in, in terms of what does the world look at when they see Christians. And um, two of the, uh, the charges that the world holds against us is that we are hypocritical and that we are judgmental. There's, there were six of them, but those are the two that really apply in this situation. So the world looks at us and says, you're, you're hypocrites and you're, judge, you're judgmental about other people. Can we own that? Can we look at ourselves and see that in ourselves? Isn't that essentially what we are called to do is to recognize these things in ourselves? We call that repentance, I think. And so Paul is starting out with this idea that, you know, hey, Christians in Rome, you're looking down on other people but you're doing the, the, the exact same things. Um, and I think that this is a danger that we fall into in our world and in our time too. You know, that we seek to conform more to the world than we do to Christ. And I keep coming back to this, but I, I, I see this more and more in terms of our politics. You know, and it's not a left or a right thing, it's a left and right thing. And, you know, if you're on one side or the other, you might be like, yeah, but they're worse. Maybe. But maybe you should be kind of looking at yourself and seeing where you are in relationship rather than worrying about where they are, uh, you know, in terms of their hypocrisy and their judgmentalism. Where are you on that spectrum that, that you might repent and then live with more consistency with God's word and live in a different kind of righteousness that cannot be gained by the things that we do? Now, I think that it's important when he says, do you suppose that you who judge those who practice such things will you know, escape the judgment of God? You know, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that these are meant to lead you to repentance? Have you, have you seen God's kindness in this world? We're, we're, Every day. Okay, some examples of God's kindness in the world. Kindness of the world? No, kind, God's kindness in the world. In the world. OK, 
Okay, there are people um, who for the purposes of faith, they will go out and they will feed the homeless. Okay, that, that's an example. The millions of dollars that Christians give to all kinds of organizations to feed yeah. kids all over the world for one example. Yeah. Forgiveness, okay, all right. I just go as simple as we get up every day. <laughs> yeah. The fact that the new day begins and here we are. There's a reason I kind of stepped over this way. It's because the sun feels good on my back. And the sunshine is a you know, mark of God's goodness. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's this thing that, theologically, we would call it civic righteousness. That there's this idea that there are some things we hold in common, whether you believe in God or not, and those kind of mark our relationships with each other and, and they often show in just general courtesy and consideration. Don't have to be a Christian to have that. Sharon? And I'm kind of looking at this in, in a couple of different levels because it's, that is part of our witness and that's part of our life together. But I think that there are other places that we look out into the world that um, we just see God is good. Um, as, uh, as Jesus says, you know, he brings... I Boy, now I'm doubting myself. I can't remember if this is a quote from Jesus or if it was from one of the prophets. Um, uh, that God lets the rain fall on the wicked and the righteous alike. You know, um, this time of year, uh, you see all the buckets on the side of the trees. It, it's maple syrup time. Maple syrup is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Whose idea was that? The flowers of the spring. Yeah. I saw some pictures of crocuses on Facebook. I haven't seen any in person yet. Um, I was running the other day, and uh, this is a mixed blessing for me. Uh, there were buds on the trees, and I sneezed. Um, but it's, def it's definitely you know, God bringing about the seasons and, and doing that, that work. And I think that sometimes we don't realize what a miracle that is. You know, here we are, third rock from the sun, right? What do you got going on on the other planets? I mean, Mercury's so hot that nothing can live there, and Venus is so overwhelmed with methane that, you know, we're pretty confident nothing could live there. And, you know, Mars maybe could support some life with some terraforming and some help. Um, imported, you know, type of thing. Um, the gravity on Saturn and on Jupiter, just beyond, you know, any kind of sustainability. Uh, you get out to uh, um, 
you know, those last planets, whether you consider Pluto to be a planet or not, apparently it's not, but then it was, and now it's not, I don't know. Um, it's so cold. You know, those planets are basically at absolute zero. There's no, nothing happening there. We're in this just perfect spot. You know, it, they actually have a name for this kind of a region in space. This distance from a star, it's called the Goldilocks zone. Not too hot, not too cold. Do you know how many planets in the universe that we have been able to observe fall into a Goldilocks zone? Pretty much us. That's God's goodness and mercy and richness and kindness. And, and honestly, they have found other planets. They said, oh, this is in the Goldilocks zone, but there could be life there. But then they look a little bit more closely and they're like, hmm, probably not. It's just that the media doesn't get back around to reporting that part of the story. Yeah? If you've ever looked at the Hubble pictures, yeah. it's mind-boggling that kind of Psalm 19, the stars declare the handiwork of the Lord. Right? Yep. You know, so when we look out at the world, you know, we can see God's goodness and his, his kindness and his mercy. Now, when you look at creation, can you also see God's wrath and his judgment and his condemnation? Yeah. So you need more than nature to really know who God is. You also need his, his word. But looking out at the world, there should be no doubt in our minds that there is a creator. You know, and, uh, and as his people, to begin to recognize his blessings and his benefits in all of those things, including his kindness and forbearance. We have seen where God has run out of forbearance. There are a couple of striking examples in the Old Testament. One deals with a guy named Noah, where God wiped everybody out except for eight people. He says, time to reboot. Okay, random remembering here. Um, I was once doing a new member class and there was a, a lady who took the class because she was just fascinated by Christianity. And um, it turns out that she was a practitioner of Wicca. Do you know what that is? Wicca. Wicca, yeah. It's witchcraft, yeah. Some really interesting conversations in that class and some neat opportunities to talk about God's love and grace. Um, and... Uh, she made it really clear when I was talking about creation that she didn't believe in creation. She believed in evolution. Okay. But she believed in Noah. Okay. So we pretty much all come from one source then anyhow. She was like, oh, I'd never seen it that way before. Okay. Like, all right. Um, I'm not saying all Wiccans are like that. I'm just, you know, it was a weird... I should just shut up. Um, <laughs> the, other, the other big, 
Well, one of the other big examples that comes to mind, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? His patience ran out. Um, God meets with Abraham and, you know, I'm going to check it out, see if it's as bad as, as it sounds. And uh, the angels go down there and the, the, the cities end up being turned into, you know, sulfur and, uh, you know, probably something along the lines of a volcanic eruption, you know, type of, you know, what it would look like to us. And it, this idea of storing up wrath, uh, God doesn't just, you know, slap us upside the head the first time we do something wrong. He's patient with us. In Genesis 15, uh, verse 16, God is talking to Abraham about coming into the promised land, and, and he, he brings him to parts of the promised land, but he says, you know, kind of stay out of this area because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. He's not ready to judge him yet. Their, their, their iniquity isn't to the point where he's like, yeah, they're done. And that goes back to part of what I was saying last week in terms of what happens when God gives us what we want. You know, sometimes God's punishment for sin is sin. You know, you want to reject me, you want to live along your own ways. Okay, here's your punishment. You're going to heap up your sin and it's going to continue to grow and your condemnation will continue to grow. And in 2 Peter 3, 9 through 10, Peter writes, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. For the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So why, why God's kindness and forbearance? What does he want to give you time for? To repent, yeah. To hear the good news, to come to faith, to receive forgiveness. Grow up in your faith? What's that? To grow up in your faith. Yeah, in terms of being yeah, in faith already, yes, I, I believe that's true too, that he gives us the opportunity to grow and to mature in our faith, um, which ends up looking like dependence learning how to really trust him, you know, and not trust in our own abilities. Um, you know, to, to be able to, to know that he's with us even in our difficulties and, you know. Yeah, Mo? I think uh, this is the way he always shows us his love, that that's the way of showing his love to us, that how valuable and how, um, like uh, remarkable and how important his love is to us, which is like most of the time, I mean always for us, like it's unimaginable. Like we can't ima even imagine like the value of his love, but he always shows the value of his love in this way. 
Yeah, he, he's showing us that he loves us and he's showing the value of that love in our lives, right? Yeah. The fans bother you guys in terms of the sound? No? A little bit to me. I don't know, I don't know how to turn those off. Do you know how to turn them off, Becca? Um, Romans 2, 6 through 11. So God will render to each one according to his works. Did your Lutheran ears just explode? <laughs> we'll come back to this. Um, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and rage. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but, God, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God, does, for God shows no partiality, no favoritism, no prejudice. So he's going to render to each of us according to our works. That's what it says, right? But behind that, there is a reality that Paul is exposing that we are unable to do those works. We're unable to earn our salvation. He's actually going to come back to this I think it's in chapter 5, when he talks about Abraham. Kind of this idea, if anybody could earn by their works, it was Abraham. But he's showing here um, that, uh, no, we don't earn our salvation. Now, if we were perfectly able to keep verse 7, to practice well-doing, to seek for glory and honor and immortality, to seek after the things of God. If we could do that perfectly, we would earn eternal life. But are we able? Are we able to, to patiently? Um, that word patiently means um, just to really stick with it, to stick to this patient living despite the obstacles and the temptations and the difficulties. I must have really been thinking about temptations because I got that twice in the list. Are, are we able, when those things start to come our way, to continue to seek glory and honor and incorruptibility? I don't know about you. I mean, this is, this is a really minor thing. Becca has a, box, or a jar of chocolate bars on her desk. I have trouble walking past that thing without grabbing one. Now, that wouldn't be stealing, because she's told me I can have them. But my doctor has told me, don't have those. Or at least not as many as you're having, you know, type of thing. If I can't keep myself from eating a little tiny candy bar, what about the weightier things of life? 
Are we able to do these things perfectly? And he's showing us, yeah, if you could do it all just so, you'd be in, you'd earn it. But you can't, can you? That, that's where he's driving us. Um, when it says that, uh, um, when he talks about being self-seeking, but for those who are self-seeking in verse 8, um, the idea there is selfish ambition is another way you could translate that. And um, I think that's a, a, another, another wrinkle on the word that I think is helpful. Because sometimes we're like, well, it's not all about me uh, in terms of you know, making sure that I have all the pleasure and everything like that. But sometimes we are very uh, selfish in our ambition, trying to accomplish things uh, at the expense of others. You know, sometimes we sacrifice the people in our lives in order to get ahead. Um, you know, I, I've had conversations with people uh, who in their retirement will say, I, I wish I had paid closer attention to my children. You know, that I, I, I didn't give them the attention that they deserved or the, the love that they, they needed because I was so focused on my career. You know, there, there, there's that kind of, a, of an idea in this as well. And it talks about they do not obey the truth, uh, but instead they obey unrighteousness. Um, the word obey is that not actually in that, uh, that idea of obeying unrighteousness. Uh, and I actually thought that this was, was really interesting. It says they're skillfully persuaded by unrighteousness. They're convinced by unrighteousness seduced misled they're coaxed by or in unrighteousness so it's not a matter so much of you know well you've got God's law here and I'm going to obey it but uh, over here there's this unrighteous law and I'm going to obey that it's hey hey Come along. We've got candy. <laughs> come, come, come over here. Come, come to this side. You know. And sometimes it sounds like very reasonable and rational arguments. Shouldn't you be satisfied with your life? Doesn't God want you to be happy? So, so maybe you need to, to you know, cut that ball and chain off so that you can be free and actually explore and live to be the best you that you can be. If only your family wasn't holding you back. Oh, well, that does sound kind of... And there are all kinds of different ways that, that people do this. It, it, and it isn't so much, you know... It isn't so much this idea that I'm making this conscious choice. Because I, I think that sometimes when we think about righteousness, you know, 
there are, there are rules and there are the things that we're going to do and I'm going to be disciplined and all of these kinds of things. I, I, when I started to see this as um, being persuaded or, or being seduced, um, there's kind of a slow burn and a slow creep that's in this that just kind of guides you into a different path. And um, one of the things that I think is worth remembering when we think about you know, keeping God's law and living a righteous life, if the devil can get you just one degree off, you know, one degree off isn't a big deal, is it? Well, it depends on how far away you are from the moment that you veered one degree off. You know, because, yeah, if, if you're drawing a line, um, you know, on, on this, this, this um, out-of-bounds line here, and uh, you start back there and you're one degree off, and you're just, you know, maybe like right here, you might not even be able to see it. But by the time you get down to the other end, it's going to be noticeable. And by the time you get down to the road, you'll be even further off. And by the time you get to Stowe, you're going to be in Kent. Because it's just going to keep going off to the side. And so I think this idea of, of a seduction or a persuasion is important because it, it really kind of shows the standard. You know, if the standard is perfection, you know, using this, you know, geometrical type of an idea, then just a little bit will get you a long way off. Now, this, this little bit here, um, it says there will be wrath, and I think the ESV has fury, um, I translated it wrath and rage, not because I thought that there was anything wrong with fury, but because sometimes the Bible has, uh, well, it's literature. And sometimes they do little nifty things with their words to, uh, to have kind of a rhythm or kind of a, uh, a rhyme to them. And this was one of those moments where I looked at that and I was like, there's a little bit of a... And putting wrath and rage, they have they start the same kind of a sound. And, you know, it, 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 I thought it was a better pairing. So if you like Fury better, that's fine. Um, but uh, what, what, do we, what do we make of God's wrath and rage? What do you think? Is it real? Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to be careful with, with that last bit because um, you know, when we start talking about natural disasters, um, was it 2001 uh, when there was the big earthquake in Haiti? Or was that 2010? I, you know, what, there's a big earthquake in Haiti and Pat Robertson got up and stood in front of a TV camera and said to the whole United States, well, that's because they worship the devil down there. 
Uh, similar type of thing when uh, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. You know that's because of the voodoo that's down there. I'm just like, because we're so much more pure here in Northeast Ohio. And, uh, you know, so there is a sense that, that the natural disasters in the world display God's wrath against sin in a very broad and general kind of way. But apart from God himself saying, that's the reason, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, because of the outcry and the wickedness that I have seen here. Oh, yeah, that, okay. But outside of that, it's, you know, kind of like, yeah, God punishes sin. The wages of sin is death. We all die, whether it's in a storm or by drowning or by COVID or by heart attack or by whatever else. You know, so, yes, but be careful with assigning one particular purpose. Yeah. I think, however, it can show you what God's wrath could look like. Oh, yeah. You know, you, when you look at the weather, you look at, you know, people don't think of that that way, but, you know, think of Noah and think of the floods, you know, his wrath. I mean, you, you don't, like, you talk about an angry sky or something like that. Absolutely. Because it's, it's so far outside of our control. Mm-hmm. You know, this is one of the things I've been thinking about with some of the COVID stuff, too. You know, all the things that we're trying to control and, um, and all the things that we're going to do because then we'll be safe. Maybe. Have any of you heard of anybody who was extremely careful and still got COVID? Yeah. And when we rely on ourselves for our, you know, our safety and our security, we're going to end up bumping into some things that just completely knock us down and say, uh, yeah, guess what? You actually aren't in control of your life and you're not God. And, and so I think storms are one of those things. Um, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, I, I grew up, um, we had seven acres and there was a big field behind the house and there was this huge, huge pine tree um, back in the corner of that field. And uh, lightning struck that pine tree one night. Just this, it's, it's gotta be about a quarter of a mile, maybe even further back to that corner of the, the field. It was so loud, I could feel the vibrations and I felt like I was going to fall out of bed. And, you know, no idea what happened. It scared the bejeebers out of everybody in the house. You know, we're all like, what's going on? Well, it's not till morning that you can see. And the tree just exploded. That's, wow. How do you stop that? You're not in control. It, it, you know, uh, things like, you know, storms, uh, particularly, you know, the hurricane type of stuff, volcanoes, earthquakes. I, I don't know about you, but earthquakes kind of freak me out. I'm really used to this idea of being solid here, you know. Um, I've lived my whole life kind of here, you know, Michigan and Ohio, a little bit of time in St. Louis and Kansas City, but uh, um, we were at a conference one time when there was an earthquake, and uh, 
it seems to me you felt it, but then, you know, it was in the news the next morning. I slept through it. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but yeah, the whole idea of the earth shaking around you, what, what do you do? You hide. Because that's all you can do. And, and that those are all kind of the, the impotence of humanity when it comes to dealing with, with the wrath of God. But this is also a topic that people, people don't like this. They, they, they really are uncomfortable with this idea that God would become angry and that he would punish sin. Um, you know, when I came down here in uh, um, 2011, there was a book that uh, had just come out that uh, was called Love Wins by Rob Bell. And the whole book is pretty much his treatise on why there's no such thing as hell. I'm like, Rob, what, what does the text say about these things? He's like, no, no, no. It doesn't matter what the text says about it. My God is nice. He would never send somebody to hell. Have you ever heard anybody say something like that? My God is so kind and so merciful, he would never send somebody into punishment. But I would argue, he doesn't, you do. <laughs> yes. Go back to chapter one, what we were talking about. What happens when God gives you what you want? So, the world thumbs its nose at God and says, we don't want you, we don't need you. We will be gods to ourselves. We will have everything under our control. And God says, okay. Have it your way. And then when he comes again, okay, have it your way. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce. Uh, I, I don't agree with everything that he said in the book, but there are some interesting ideas that are worth exploring in terms of heaven and hell. And part of his idea, and, and I don't agree with this part, but it's a good an interesting starting point is that we are already living in the either heaven or hell, even as we're living in this world. You know, so you see people interacting with the world in different ways, and some of them everything is glorious and wonderful, and others everything is miserable. It's because they're already there. They're already either separated from God or living in his mercy. I, I, it, it, if you want to pick up a book and, and check it out, I, I do think that that one is, is worth uh, spending a little bit of time chewing on, but think critically if you read it. So m many modern Christians reject the idea of, of hell and eternal punishment. Um, I was looking at some statistics that said that... Uh, um, so most of your conservative denominations... You have about an 80% belief that there is such a thing as hell and that some people are going to end up there. In the mainline uh, denominations, 
it's somewhere around 60%. Um, you know, so you, 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 you have this, this big fall off where people disregard what God's word actually says about these things. Is it an uncomfortable thought to think about God's wrath? Yeah. I, I think that if we think about people who are going to experience God's wrath, um, maybe there's some sadness there, some fear for them. There is another side of this, though. And if you read through the Psalms, you will run into this, where the psalmist rejoice in God's wrath. Why would we rejoice in God's wrath? What makes God angry? Well, one reason is because evil is being punished. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Evil's being punished. Is that a good thing? Yes, it is. Why else would God's wrath be a good thing? Turn us back. Say it again. Okay. There is a confrontation that makes us realize our sin so that we turn back to him in repentance. That's a good thing. What else? Anything? It, it uh, raises question in my mind does God in some ways does he ever do anything to punish large uh, bodies of, of, of his children or people He's, or does everything a one to one relationship he sent the whole people of Israel into captivity because of their idolatry even the believers but now, does he do the same thing? The Holocaust? I, I, the Lord, am the same yesterday, today, forever. I do not change. Therefore, O Jacob, you are not destroyed. I, I, I think that, yeah. And sometimes he sweeps away the righteous with the wicked. But what happens to us if we get swept away in God's wrath? If you, Larry King, are swept away in God's wrath today and, and this is the last day of your life on earth. What happens to you? I, I put myself in Jesus' hands. <laughs> that's, that's my only hope. Exactly. And because you're in Jesus' hand, what's next? That's up to him. <laughs> oh, but what has he promised you? Oh, eternal life. Yeah. It's a good deal. Yeah. So when the righteous are swept away with the wicked, people are like, oh, oh, that's the worst thing that could happen. The worst thing that could happen to a person is not that we die. The worst thing that could happen to us is that we die separated from God's love. Right. You know, so I do think that there is a, another way that, uh, that God's wrath uh, is a good thing. And you can find this in the Psalms as they pray for deliverance. Because what really angers God is when his children are under attack.
And when he rolls up his sleeves and he reveals himself as the Lord God of Sabaoth. Are you familiar with that phrase? Uh, it used to be part of our liturgy at the communion. That word Sabaoth in Hebrew, it means armies. We have a God who commands armies of angels to protect his people. And when God acts in his wrath, it is always on behalf of his children. So when we, when we pray, um, you know, your will be done in the Lord's Prayer, look at the catechism and look at how we explain that. What does that mean? God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. You have a God who breaks and hinders. You have a God who's powerful. You have a God who is a warrior. Those are not pictures that we generally use, but they are real. And they are an important part of who he is. And there is an expression of his wrath as he saves his people from their enemies, from our enemies. And it's a good thing when he acts in that, that type of a wrath in order to save us. The other thing that I think is really important here, this word has come up a couple of times already in, in these first two chapters of Romans, truth. God's wrath is part of the truth of this world. It is, a, it is an issue of law and gospel. And some of you were actually getting at this, you know, talking about being confronted in our sin and being led into repentance. So, God's wrath is terrible and frightening. But it's also something that flows from his love and is therefore a good thing when he uses that on our behalf. What do you make of this phrase, the Jew first and also for the Greek? Yeah, um, I think the word I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come up with is hendiadis, where you use the ends to talk about the whole. Does that sound familiar? So it's like when you say something from A to Z. And as far as Jewish people were concerned, this is kind of an A to Z type of a statement. Um, you've got the Jews, the people who are the people of God, and the Greeks which doesn't actually just mean Greek people, it means kind of Gentiles, non-Jewish people, which you get the Jews and the non-Jews, which pretty much adds up to everybody. Why first the Jews? Yeah. They are the ones who received the promise of the Messiah. They are the ones who received God's word you know, Abraham received God's promises and passed those down to his children and all the way down. Uh, the Messiah comes from the Jews. But not just for the Jews. It's for all people. So it's, it's that, that whole, um, I think the word is hendiadis, but I'm not, I'm not positive. 
For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So this is, this is one of the gotcha questions that gets thrown at me from time to time, you know, that, that God perhaps is not kind or not good or, or not just or not fair. Pastor, what about the people in the Amazon who have never had the opportunity to hear about Jesus? What's going to happen to them in the judgment? And I think that there is something there to be said in terms of the importance of, uh, of evangelism. You know, and if that is a real burden on somebody's heart, I can point them in the right directions to help them to become a missionary to the Amazon so that they can share the gospel there. Um, that being said, when we think about sharing the gospel, there is, there's a worldwide effort that happens, but there's also the local. And I've noticed that people tend to prefer or to romanticize the worldwide efforts of evangelism. You know, uh, I have a young, well, I, I, he's not that young anymore. He's father of four, I think. Um, uh, a, a guy who was in my youth group and part of his uh, his life was that he decided he wanted to be a missionary and so he went to uh, Thailand and he spent a year in Thailand. That's a great experience. That's kind of impressive, right? Um, Margot and, um, and George, yeah, we supported them to go, um, was that Thailand also? Because he wanted to go to Vietnam, right? Uh, you know, is that a good thing? Absolutely. Is that better than going to Akron? Is it better than going to Solon or Twinsburg or Hudson or Stowe? See, I, I think sometimes we look at these people who they go far away and we're like, oh, they're amazing. You know? Why can't I be like Jim Elliott and go down to you know, the Amazon and get killed by Native Americans? We tend to romanticize this and we you know, look at you know, these far distances. But we're called to share the gospel right here. And we have the opportunity to share the gospel with the people that we live with locally. And the response to this in terms of the theology of you know, God's wrath and God's judgment is that you know, the law is written on everyone's heart. The, the work of the written law is on their hearts already. 
And they prove this by the things that they say, yes, this is right, and no, this is wrong. And, you know, and the incredible consistency that that has around the world. It's not completely consistent because of the hardening and darkening of our hearts. But at the end of the day, it's their conscience. And they, in a sense, become a law unto themselves. Um, your conscience is your awareness of yourself. And so as they live their lives, they become a law to themselves. And do you think that they always live up to their standards? No. And so they've got these thoughts going on in their heads. And I bet you you've got these same thoughts going on in yours that will either accuse you or defend you. And as we deal with God's word, we're always having this going on. As we deal with our own law in our own hearts, we either accuse or defend. Yes, I did this right, and no, I didn't do it right, or um, I didn't do it right, but the reason I didn't do it right is I have these reasons. And it's usually because you did something wrong that caused me to do this, not quite the way that I should have done it. It's an internal dialogue. You ever experienced this where you, you know, you've got these thoughts going on in your head and it's, it's, you're, you're talking to yourself? I'm not crazy. You're the one that's crazy. Um, you have these positive things that go on as you're looking at your life. You have these negative things that go on as you look at your life. But how do you know the truth? And to know the truth, you need that external, written law. So the whole picture that's provided here is one of the uncertainty of our own righteousness. We can go through all kinds of self-justification. Um, we're pretty good at self-condemnation as well. But at the end of the day, when the judgment day happens, it's going to happen according to the gospel, it says. And when it says the gospel, it, it's, there are two ways to understand the word gospel. There, it's the same thing with the word law. There's a wide sense and a narrow sense. And the wide sense means all of God's word, which would mean law and gospel. And the narrow sense is just the good news uh, about the forgiveness that we have in Christ. I believe that Paul is using this word in the wide sense when he says that the world is going to be judged according to God's gospel that there will be the law and the clear message that there is salvation in Christ. And then the other part of the, the ending of this is they are that God judges our secrets. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll say a few words next week as we get started about the benefits of private confession and absolution. Um, we don't do this a lot in Lutheran church bodies. We tend to do our confession and absolution as part of the worship service. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes it's beneficial to sit down and talk with a pastor, to look you in the eye and say, that sin that's bothering you is forgiven. So I'll, I'll come back to that uh, briefly at the beginning of next week. All right, should we wrap up? Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we could be here today, and we ask, Lord, that you would continue to work through your word in our lives to help us to grow in faith. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tables.